0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you today. Thank you for joining in and please stay with us and benefit together with uh, the panel today of the beautiful words of the scripture. I'd like to say hello to Will. Good to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Nick. I'm I'm learning as we go.
0: And uh, Joe, thank you for uh, being part of this panel.
1: Thank
2: you, Nick. It's always a delight to be here.
0: Len, also, it's good to have you with us.
3: Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners.
0: Lija, thank you for joining.
4: My pleasure. It's a, It's a blessing for me. Every time I encounter God's Word.
0: Helen, thank you for uh, joining the panel.
5: It's an absolute delight, and I thank you. I'm excited about the studies and... Just excited. We've got another day, another day to study and to learn.
0: And Ken, thank you for uh, being part of this. And in particular, uh, thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study. Welcome to the program.
6: Thank you very, very much indeed, Nick. And it's wonderful to be part of this team. And it's a real pleasure to go through the studies in the Bible. I'd just like to wish our listeners a very happy new year and uh, I wish it brings many things that you missed out on the previous year. But above all, I wish it brings you the joy and the love of Jesus in your heart. Today, we are continuing the story of the message of Hebrews. A Jewish document written a few decades after Hebrews, around AD 100, contains a prayer. All this I have spoken before you, O Lord, because you have said that it was for us that you created this world. And now, O Lord... Behold, these nations, which are reputed as nothing, dominate over us and devour us. But we, your people, when you have called your firstborn, only begotten, zealous for you, and most dear, have been given into their hands. The readers of Hebrews probably felt something similar. If they were God's children, why were they going through such suffering? Thus, Paul wrote Hebrews to strengthen the faith of the believers Amid their trials, he reminded them and us that the promise of God will be fulfilled through Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who will soon take us home. In the meantime, Jesus meditates the Father's blessings to us. So we need to hold fast to our faith until the end. So, Helen, would you like to start with a prayer for us? Thank you.
5: Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, what words can we say to praise you? Lord, we have a wonderful language, Father, but it seems inadequate when we come to exalt you. Lord, we just want to thank you. We want to praise you today. We want to exalt, lift you up, and we want to be just fully focused on you. Father, we ask that there'll be nothing in our life that will um, block us from hearing from the Holy Spirit today and, and that what we hear will be applicable to our lives and something we can share with others. Father, draw us closer to you. Help us to be more thankful of the wonderful sacrifice you gave for us when your son came to this earth, walked on this earth as a human and felt the things that we felt. Thank you, Father, for the words of Scripture. Thank you. We have this opportunity to share them with others. In the loving name of Jesus, amen.
3: Amen. Thank you,
6: Helen. Listeners, when you listen to something or read an article, you sometimes find yourself thinking, What is the speaker or writer trying to say? In other words, what is the main point? We see an example of this in Hebrews 8, verse 1. Lane, would you like to read this and tell us what the main point of this letter that was sent to Hebrews and has it any bearing for us today?
3: Well, I'd like to start off by saying it's always a good policy to have the main point as always the main point. we don't forget the main point and i'm reading from the new king james bible and i'll read this first verse of chapter eight it says this now this is the main point of the things we are saying we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens well now i'd like to unpack this a little bit First of all, it says, we have. In other words, our high priest, and of course Hebrews is talking about Jesus, our high priest, we have. We don't have to go seeking him. We do in another sense, but he's already there. We have. Good thing to remember. And then it says, we have such a high priest. Well, now, That refers back to chapter 7. We've got the highest of the high priests. And I won't go into all the details, but it refers to Melchizedek, to whom Abraham paid tithes years before. Now, he's not just any old priest. He's the high priest, the highest of the high priests. The text says he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, when somebody is seated, it's symbolic of the fact that they have completed a task. You might be perhaps uh, ladies, you might be cooking, preparing a cake or preparing a meal, and when it's finished, you can sit down and have a little break until it's time to eat, or maybe eating is the time when you are seated. But it simply says that a certain task is finished. Then I'd like to quickly refer to seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. In other words, Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Have you ever heard the expression somebody's right hand man? I suspect that that's related to what I'm reading here and been talking about from the Bible. This is the person who has all the authority and does, if you like, the things that the person to whom he is seated would also do. Now, we're going to cover some of this a bit later on about who Christ was, but it's good to know that we already have a high priest, such a high priest, he's the highest of the high, who is seated because he has finished part of his ministry, he has another ministry at the moment, and he has all the authority of heaven. Now, there's one other little thing. You know, in the old sanctuary services, the high priest never sat down. He always stood up. But in this case, it's referring to Christ in his majesty, not just as priest, but as king. So Christ is our king as well as our high priest.
6: So Jesus is our high king and high priest. But who claims rulership over this planet Earth and who causes all the problems we face? Is there any evidence in the Bible about this? Joe? what do you think? Well, yes, there is
2: evidence that there is a being referred to in the Bible as Satan. Um, The Bible uses various names and makes delusions to this entity. Um, in a number of passages. So it might be worth mentioning that at this stage that Satan is not on an equal footing. Now, some people might think that he's equally powerful, but you know, in the wrong direction, but, um, in terms of power, he is, um, he is definitely in opposition to God, but he is a created being nonetheless with limited powers and abilities. So let's not ascribe, you know, God-like powers to Satan. Now, Job one verse six, 6 to 7 shed some light here and it says now there was a day when the sons of God that is angelic beings came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them verse 7 and the Lord said to Satan whence comest thou and then Satan answered the, the Lord and said from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it so we have here Satan who turns up at a heavenly council and God is asking him to state his business. Where did you come from? As if God didn't know. Um, and one can't help but note the insolent manner in which he replies, you know, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down. It. Satan here is strongly implying his ownership. His, you know, that if the world is his rightful property, I've been all over walking about inspecting my property and all is in subjection to me. Now, Ken, I wouldn't be able to just come up to your place and let myself in, would I, and and walk around as I please? It would be illegal, wouldn't it? You know, we have uh, signs that say private property keep out, you know, trespassers will be prosecuted. So clearly here, Satan is implying ownership. This is his territory, and he's pretty smug in this scene, and of course, is a, a complete. You know, we could go on about what, how God answers him and whatnot. But we can see there is a rogue element present in this heavenly council, and this is Satan who opposes God, and he opposes all that is truth, truthful, good, and pure. And some religions dismiss the notion of a devil altogether. And in the secular world, cartoons are depicting Satan as being red with hooves and a bit of a scallywag and kind of naughty. The truth is that he is an angelic being who is in direct opposition to God and the salvation of mankind. There is nothing scampish about the devil. He is evil and is the origin of all that is wrong in the world. So in answer to your question, Ken, there is a being, whether we call him the devil or Satan or Lucifer, who thinks himself as the true ruler of this world. Now, we know that all this changed at the cross, um, we know that Satan is limited in what he can and can't do. And I, mean, I, I could go on. But in this text, he has the audacity to appear in a heavenly council of holy beings, holy beings and angels and strut about.
6: What an amazing statement. Satan coming back to God's throne to see what was going on. Nick, would you like to share with us John 12 and verse 31 and John 14 and verse 30?
0: Sure, uh, Ken. These are beautiful uh, passages of the Bible and of encouragement, uh, not only for uh, that time, for the disciples, but also for us uh, today. And just let me read that verse first. Uh, and um, that was verse 31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And in uh, in chapter um, 14, verse 30, we also read this. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. Now, just uh, to give a bit of background of um, this, when Jesus um, spoke to the disciples, he spoke in this uh, context when he, he told them about his, death also and uh, there was that manifestation you know like a, a thunder you know like a voice from heaven which uh, the people present there they could hear it and uh, they were kind of uh, wondering why was that and jesus mentioned to them this is for you this is for your benefit god allows certain things to happen in our life to attract our attention to the things which he had prepared for us, the things which he foretold us also. Now, as you mentioned before, uh, the enemy of God, which is Satan, he challenges God and challenged God and challenges us all the time. And he had even that um, sort of uh, boldness, you know, to to go to the throne of God and uh, to challenge. And I'm just reading right now the book of Job, and understanding how uh, uh, bold he, he went to God and uh, um, asked for uh, Job to be tested. I think the lesson for us today is that uh, Jesus assured us, he's assuring us, that God has everything in place for us if we allow him to take care of our life fully. And in this uh, context, Jesus is saying, hey, the enemy, the devil, as I read in, in chapter uh, uh, 14 and verse uh, 30, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. What a wonderful declaration there. And that's the assurance for us all. If we have Jesus, which is our mediator, which is our Lord, which is our king, then we should not fear of anything. He has nothing in us. He should not have anything in us. That's the the context of this. And uh, yeah, I I believe it's um, very important to apply all these teachings, particularly from the book of Hebrew and from the whole Bible, into our life in the context we live, and to take those messages for us and be encouraged in these times of trouble.
6: Thank you, Nick. Len, you wanted to add to that?
0: Yes.
3: What Joe was reading from the book of Job, chapter 1, tells of the time when Satan had access to heaven, the seat of rule in the universe. But Satan no longer has access to heaven. After the cross, Satan was defeated, and he is now confined to this world, he knows he has but a short time. He's very busy tempting people, drawing them away from God, trying to get their attention, but he no longer has access. He is already a defeated foe. So now Christ has, if you like, wrested away from Satan, the rulership, although Satan's very busy still, but he now is confined to this world. And that's bad. That's tough for us. Thank you, Leanne. That's a very important point.
5: I think it's arrogant of Satan to even try to tempt Jesus and to overpower him. I mean, he he knew that he was the ruler of the the world at this time, but he was unable. But he, he just had that arrogance about him and his power. He couldn't overpower Jesus. And to me, that gives me hope. I just wanted to share that with you. It gives me hope that if we can't overcome Jesus and we have Jesus in our heart and we align closely to him, you know, with God, all of God's purposes, Satan can have no power over us. He that is within us is greater than he that is without. And I think that's a wonderful promise we can pull out from uh, John 1430.
6: Thank you, Helen. Again, that's a very important point for us to realize and understand Will. Would you read John 16, verses 7 to 11, and some of these last scriptures on rulership, ownership, and world control, and who really is in full control?
1: Yes, Ken, certainly. Let me read the text first, John 16, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. He's speaking, of course, of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, it's especially this last phrase, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the ruler of this world? Well, the first part of our text says that the promised comforter, the Holy Spirit, would come with persuasive power to affirm Jesus as the Christ. But it is followed by the assurance that righteousness will triumph because the Messiah had utterly defeated the devil, having fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and inaugurated the messianic uh, reign of Christ. So Satan is no longer in charge. And I think, uh, as has been said, it's wonderful news. You know, I think, Ken and panel and listener, the devil can no longer strut to and fro on the earth and claim to be top dog anymore. As Len
0: said, he is a defeated foe.
6: Thank you, Will. Nick?
0: As uh, Will uh, mentioned that uh, Satan is no longer in charge, and that's so true if we have Jesus as Lord of our life, as our mediator, our advocate, our judge, and all those things, because we, you see, we are talking today, and we touching on this aspects of um, who Jesus is. Jesus uh, was not just came on this earth, um, did the thing, and uh, went to heaven, and he's carrying on with the other business in heaven. He's as much involved for this uh, affair on the on the earth as we see life going on, and we know that Satan it's enraged with uh, each one of us here. We are at war, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And what we are uh, learning today, and we are touching base from the book of Hebrew about the role of Jesus as mediator. And also we we looked a bit, uh, uh, you know, Jesus being also the king, you know, he's the one in charge. And we'll see how Jesus is, It's our, you know, our friend, but also he's our champion. He's the one which we need to look up to. And if we have Jesus, then we don't need to be worried about uh, the work of the enemy. But if we don't have Jesus or a relationship, a strong relationship with Jesus, we should be worried because the enemy is roaring, you know, like a lion, and we are not against Again, uh, blood and flesh, you know, when we talk about war. We are against, you know, these spiritual forces and uh, the enemy is still real today on this earth. And I just want to make that uh, clear, you know, uh, uh, for everyone. Because when we look at uh, at the left or the right on ourselves, we see only pain and damage and discouragement. But the assurance and the, the promise to us is that Jesus won this battle. If we are siding with Jesus, we can be victorious also.
6: So true, Nick. So although Satan rules this earth, Jesus and God are in control and set limits to what Satan can do. As we read in Psalm 24 in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Lynn. What important truth is the author to the Hebrews conveying to the people in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5 to 14?
3: Okay, well, I want to say again that the book of Hebrews is about Jesus and his ministry. This is a fairly long passage, and in it are seven statements about Jesus um, given by God the Father. So we start at verse five. Says for to which of the angels did he, referring to the Father, ever say You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Now we read in John three sixteen The way of salvation is to believe in the only begotten Son. Jesus could be called the Son before. He came to this earth. Nothing was lost. Although he had become man, he was still God. And here is God the Father reaffirming the fact that Jesus is still God. Now this comes a little clearer later on. I'm going on and it says in again, God the Father speaking, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. In other words, Power lies in the hands of the Father and the Son. Verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Hang on. Who do angels worship? Who is worthy of worship? Well, Jesus, as God, receives the worship of the angels. Now, this is confirmed in the book of Revelation I won't uh, talk about that at this stage. Verse 7 And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Okay, another statement. Verse 8 But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A sceptre of righteousness is the sceptre of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now this is very important. God the Father calls Jesus, God the Son, God. Uh, we heard earlier how he is worshipped. There are some people who do not accept Jesus as God. They maintain that only the Father is God. But here is a point. The Father is calling the Son God. Go down to verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years Will not fail. In other words, he's saying, Christ is the creator, Christ lives eternally. Now we go to verse 13, and this is the seventh of these statements. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Here again is the Father saying, You are preeminent. Anyone who opposes you will not be effective. And we were just talking about Satan, how he opposed Christ. Well, this uh, to me clearly says that Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of our praise. And in verse 7 it says, verse, sorry, not 7, verse 6, that the angels worship him. So it just is talking about Jesus in his position back in heaven as God, but with some additional responsibilities, which we'll probably talk about a little later.
6: So again, the Bible makes it clear that God through Jesus made the heavens and the earth, and Jesus sits on his right hand in heaven as his son, Helen, how does Paul reinforce this truth in his writings from prison where he was being held to the Christians in Philippi?
5: Thank you, um, Ken, for the opportunity of sharing that. Just before I get on to that, I'd, I'd like to just add a comment to what Len was saying, and, and that is, you know, he's, he has shown us from Scripture that God had said that his son, his son was above all. And when I, I, read that, I thought, I looked back at to see the culture of the day. And I believe that to, to the, um, the Israelites and the Hebrews, when Paul was in prison and he was saying these things, he actually was saying that Jesus was the begotten or the firstborn. And they understood that to mean the firstborn, um, of God was above everything and everyone. And, um, I thought that was interesting but I thought it was interesting also when um somebody read from John before and something something jumped out at me which I hadn't noticed before and it was in John 16 and at verse 9 it says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me and it's a sin not to believe that's why I think we need to get to know the Bible more, because once you know the Bible or you get into the Bible and you see the wonderful things that God has created and who he is, you can't help but believe him. And um, that was astounding for me. But let me just read, if I may, from Philippians 2, uh, 9, 10, and 11. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says, Therefore God elevated him in the place of highest honour, gave him the name above all other names, that of the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, at the very end, every knee will bow. Jesus is higher, higher than the angels, higher than any created being. He is God. And we need to remember that. We need to acknowledge that. And the people that have, have decided not to believe are committing a sin which separates them from God. And, but people can choose now how to commit their lives, you know, how they want to live the rest of their life from today on, whether they're going to acknowledge Christ now as Lord or when Christ comes and they will be forced to acknowledge him as Lord when he returns. And, you know, Christ may return any moment. We do not know. So we need to be prepared every moment for his coming. But when he said God elevated him, he exalted him, should that not be our praise for Jesus? You know, we should be exalting him with our praises day and night. And they say the angels do that around the throne. Glory, glory, glory. And I think I've mentioned quickly before that when I went up in an air balloon, only one word kept coming out of my mouth. I was so filled with the wonder of it all. And I believe that's how we should be on this earth because God has exalted his son and he has the name above all names. I think we sing a song, Jesus' name above all names. And, and you know, just I just sit back and I think the people that don't want to acknowledge that Jesus was God, missing out on so many things that they can have now.
3: And you wanted to add to that? Yes, we must remember To whom the book of Hebrews was addressed It was basically addressed to Christians Who had previously been Jews That's why it's named Hebrews Now, if you ask a Jew these days About the coming Messiah They will say the Messiah has not yet come However, there are a group of um, a fairly large group of Jews who have accepted the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah are called the Messianic Jews but the Jews only accepted that the Messiah would be their king but here what he- Helen was reading about Jesus is also called Lord, the one whom we must obey and I think what um this passage is about is a reinforcement to these Jews who'd become Christians that Jesus was indeed God, he is Lord, he is King. And Paul goes to great lengths, we think it's Paul, goes to great lengths to explain this to them so they have no doubts that Jesus has come, he is Messiah, he is King, He is Lord. He is God. Thank you, Nick. You wanted to add to that?
0: Yeah, I just uh, wanted to say that um, while uh, Helen was uh, talking about, and particularly that, you know, section says that God elevated, you know, Jesus. It's interesting because people, that's why many people um, have different understanding about the divinity of Jesus uh, and about the Godhead also. Uh, thinking that um, Jesus was not in the same position like God, but God elevated him. I want to clarify something here. I believe in our... Uh, now, I'm not very good with the English, as you can see, but I think we don't do justice when we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I will say, in my own understanding, I'll say, I'll be like that, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? because we don't have that separation they have different attributes in the in the whole business to say so of this universe but when we say god the father god the son god the holy spirit the jews uh the hebrew people may say we don't have another god we have only one god you know but job was referred early and job make reference to jesus and You know, that refers that Jesus is God from the beginning. Jesus said that to himself. Jesus was not elevated to the position of God. God was God. Jesus was God from the beginning. Holy Spirit, uh, God. But I will use that phrase myself to understand better. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All these three are God. They are not three gods. Okay. Joe... What comfort do you think Christians have
6: knowing that Jesus is their saviour, king of this world and ruler of the universe?
2: Um, I can only speak from personal experience, and I imagine that um, I'm not all that different to other people. And it's a great comfort, even though um, times are tough and we are living in tough times, that there is a way out and God is always there. Now, he has promised to neither leave us or not to forsake us, um, Jesus, who suffered as a man, had also been through whatever we're going through, and he might have even been through much, much more. Um, he overcame, did not throw away his faith, and so I too can hang on and overcome as he overcame in his strength. There is also hope which sustains us through difficult times, and we can rest secure in the knowledge that he will keep that which is committed to him, and that is based on 2 Timothy one twelve. "'For these things I suffer,' But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. If
6: we commit ourselves to him, he will keep that for sure. So, apart from being our king, we could say that Jesus is also our champion. Lecha, what great victory did Jesus accomplish as our champion, and where do we find it? We
4: can uh, read in Hebrew chapter 2 verse 14 to 16, and it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by by their fear of death. We observe here that um, it's described that Jesus is the champion of the weak human beings, Christ faces and defeats the devil in a solo combat and delivers us from bondage. And also it alludes to the notion that God would save Israel in a solo combat. There is also, actually, we, we, we as Christians, we often think that, we are engaged in a solo combat with Satan but if we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to 18 uh, we see that yes we are in a combat with the devil but God is our champion and he goes to battle before us and we are part of his army that that is why we have to use his armor as as it is described in Ephesians. Also, we do not have to fight alone. In Ephesians, it says that the descriptions of fighting uh, is on plural, not on a singular. And we as a church, we have to take the armor of God and fight together behind our champion, who is God himself, Jesus himself.
6: So, really, to sum that up, we find that Jesus, he's destroyed Satan's power over death and removed her sin bondage. Nick, why does Satan still view death as his greatest weapon against mankind?
0: Let me just read uh, in First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and says this, Stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy, the devil, he crawls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As I mentioned earlier that, uh, yeah, uh, he's roaring like a lion. He's real. He's trying to do the most damage possible today. And God is inviting us. Jesus is inviting us to be alert, uh, not to put the guard down, because, you see, we approach this aspect that the battle belongs to the Lord. I mean uh, even as Lydia said there Jesus is the one who carry this this battle. But we are part of it. You know even if we like it or not. But we don't have any power or wisdom, you know, to win this uh, this battle. We are only part of that and we need to be al- alert. Now I've been in the army and uh, when you prepare a battle you have certain things which you play, each individual there on, uh, on that whatever uh, unit you are in. But actually, the, the battle itself, it's planned by the, the leader. The leader will tell you what to do. The leader will, um, will ask you where to be. And you just need to obey the leader's command. And if you do otherwise, you can be even charged for uh, you know, for uh, uh, putting those plans at risk, that's where we are. Also, we can put God's plan at risk by our own uh, intervention. To say so, we have only one aspect, and that's why in in this part of the Bible, you know, in uh, Second in First Peter, sorry, uh, it says, "Just be alert, watch for the enemy is real." And he will row like a lion to devour. And to be safe, we ask Jesus, please, take control. Come in my life and take control of my life and give me victory.
3: I've looked at various documentaries about wildlife in Africa, as probably most people have. When lions hunt, they, tr- they usually try to hide their presence until the very last. A roaring lion wouldn't be a very successful hunting machine, if, you, <laughs> if I could use that term, uh, trying to hunt down animals. But here it describes Satan as a roaring lion. Now I find this rather interesting. I think Satan is no longer trying to disguise himself. He is really up front. People know that uh, what he's leading them into is wrong, but he's rather blatant in his temptations these days compared to what I think it was like in a previous time.
6: Ben, I think that's really an important point, and I believe it's so, so true that, as the Bible describes him very, very well, a roaring lion, he is going about this world today doing everything he can to bring the downfall of mankind. But praise be to Jesus, he is our leader and our commander and our saviour, and we can rely on him. Helen, have we any defence against this power of Satan?
5: I believe so. But number one, let's remember that when Christ died on the cross, he knocked the teeth out out of Satan. Therefore, of course, he is roaring around, but he hasn't got the teeth that he had before. But he is still very strong. Let me read for you Ephesians six, ten to 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, not some but the whole armour. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I just want to pause for a moment. I don't want to check too long on it, but I just want to pause and mention that word wrestle. When the people heard that word back when this was written, they understood that it meant something that was very, very intense. In fact, it is from some old Greek words, but there were three words that was referring in those days to wrestling, and it was hand-to-hand combat. It was There were three different kinds, and they got worse as they went down the list and it was i won't read it to you in my notes i just you know it just would horrify you as it did me but it was a deadly sport in the first century and you know in order to make the opponent surrender it was quite normal to strangle him into submission great fingers etc cetera, etc cetera. it was a bitter bitter struggle and and i thought about those words that paul was saying Spiritual warfare can be a bitter struggle, intense conflict, and we need to be very much aware of it because if we even give Satan a little foothold through the day, he will take over our lives and we don't need that. So we need to wrestle, but we can't wrestle of ourselves. It says again, it says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's, of course, comes from Christ and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Can't be shod unless you know what the gospel of peace is. Above all, take the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. Don't let him even get into our minds and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guarantee that if we put on the whole arm of God, we will have nothing to fear through his strength.
6: So we are to prepare ourselves as if for a battle because it is a battle, a battle for our soul. One we cannot win on our own. Only by having Jesus on our side and following his instructions, can we hope to escape the devil. Lynn We have seen that Jesus is our High Priest. What was the role of the High Priest in the Bible, and why do we need one today?
3: Okay, well first I'd like to uh, read the first two verses of Hebrews 5, which says, For every High Priest taken from among men is appointed for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verse 2 He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray Since he himself is also subject to weakness First point the The priests of the Levitical priesthood were appointed There wasn't a vote taken And whoever wins the vote gets the position It was an appointment Now you may have seen On various products By appointment of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth There's no vote taken Queen Elizabeth endorses Those businesses that provide those products In the case of priests And in the case of our High Priest Jesus It's by appointment only God appoints So what was a priest for? Well, because men have fallen out of favour with God because of sin, they need a mediator, someone who will act on their behalf, that they can come into standing with God again. You know, there is a religious group, quite a vocal religious group, that maintain that Jesus is not our mediator. They claim that he is our representative. There's a huge difference there. He is our mediator. He is the go-between, between between sinful human beings and God. When we ask for forgiveness, it is Jesus, on account of what Jesus did, here while on earth, giving his life, taking our punishment, who can be our mediator because he's been there. He's done that. And then it says uh, about the earthly high priest, offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Well, Jesus did that. He was the gift. He was the gift of God to mankind. He became our sacrifice, as you can read in Isaiah 53, that he took our punishment, etc., etc. So the high priest was a mediator between sinful man and God. Jesus maintains that role now. Thank you, Len. We're fast running out of time, but uh, we've heard that Jesus
6: was a special person or high priest. Someone set aside to carry out special duties. who was to keep themselves aside from worldly things and serve God. was how was the role of our great high priest different from other high priests we have read about? Well, Ken, Jesus...
2: Jesus, based on Hebrews 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. And I think Len mentioned that he was appointed a high priest by God. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek." Now, um, in Hebrews, we have seen up to now that Paul is saying Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than the prophets, he's better than Moses, and here Paul is trying to emphasise and uplift Jesus as the better or superior high priest, if you like. It would appear that some of the Jewish Christians were losing sight of the real Jesus and his role, um, and some may have been tempted to go back to the mother church or Judaism where it was kind of safer, those days in the Nero's time, these Christian Jews were uh, persecuted, as we know. Their families were suffering. There was loss of property, loss of privileges and freedom. And so they, some of them wavered. Do we maintain our ground or capitulate and return to our heritage? And, um, you know, so one such consideration would have been considered. Um, how is it possible that Jesus, not being from the tribe of Levi, would be able to be a priest, let alone a high priest? This is unthinkable. This is proof. He can't be all that he claims to be. Um, Well, Paul then argues that although Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi, Levi, he was in the line of Melchizedek, a priestly line far superior than Aaron's. One that predates Aaron and to whom Abraham, yes, the great Abraham, bowed before and paid tithes. Uh, Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no end. And um, just Quickly to go on, Paul goes on to highlight the fact that earthly priests had to offer continual sacrifices for the people as well as for themselves because they were sinful too. He reminds, and that includes the high priest, he reminds the readers of the insufficiency of the system which they were tempted to go back to. He uplifts Jesus as the eternal high priest whose shedding of blood was entirely sufficient. Jesus as Lena said was was the sacrifice the lamb of god he was the high priest the mediator between god and man reconciling the two he lives to intercede or represent us um to god and of course um there are other scriptures but we we should really cut it back a bit as we know jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant and so um that the hebrews are challenged to move forward into a revealed truth which is better and superior or return to shadows and types return to the traditions of the fathers and if they return to judaism they would have to renounce jesus and turn their backs on him and they'd rely on the blood of bulls and sheep and so forth um something that um was not
6: advisable and i guess we'll be studying a lot more in weeks to come so Jesus is not only the son of God, but our high priest in heaven, our intercessor between God and us, our defense lawyer and our help in time of need. Well, that sure sounds like good news to me. Nick, is there an important truth we can learn from these scriptures we have just heard that applies to Christians today?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Ken and Pennell. It's a beautiful passage in First uh, Peter again, uh, chapter two, verse nine and ten, and he says this: "But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you. Out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. What a wonderful passage to see that we are considered priests. Now, I want to mention this because we talk a lot about Jesus. You see, we have to identify this aspect, why the Jewish people, they are not on the page, to say so, with some of the uh, language which even Jesus used and um, the other disciples. Because we talk about Jesus, but we also know Jesus as Christ. There are different things, because God... Elevated Jesus, who represented us, who was in a human flesh. He lifted him up to that position of being our representative and our defender and lawyer and so on and so forth. But Christ, he was always there. That's why the Hebrew people, they always, always, they were looking for Christ to come because that refers to, to the Messiah. And I believe all together here today, we being called a royal priesthood, I think it's a responsibility that we probably don't even uh, give uh, enough attention and, and you know, uh, importance. Because what we do, those people outside, they see, and they will understand God and Jesus in the light of what we're doing, those people who claim his name, who claim that we are Christians. And if we are not find ourselves to be identified as God's people in the true sense, then we may have a wrong uh, um, message sent out. Len?
3: Yes, just briefly. I think this um, verse that Nick read is referring very much to us as Christians being representatives for the Lord, kind of a bit like a high, like a priest, in order to bring them to a knowledge of the saving grace of God. One other thing, I think it's absolutely wonderful that in the one person, so many roles can be covered. Jesus is our advocate, He's our Savior, He's our high priest, He's our king, He's our judge, He's our Lord. He's our representative, he's our mediator, he's our brother, and he's our friend. I think he's somebody good that we should know. Well, listeners, we're just about out of time.
6: I'd just like, like to finish by saying, despite all the good and hopeful truths in the book of Hebrews, there also is a series of warnings that reach their climax in chapters 10 and 12. These sections have at least two common elements. First, they all compare the desert generation with the readers of Hebrews. Second, they exhort us to have faith. The desert generation was the one that saw the amazing power of God unleashed in signs and wonders in their deliverance from Egypt. They also heard God speak from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. They saw the column of fire in the night and the protecting cloud during the day. They ate manna bread from heaven. They also drank water that sprang from the rocks wherever they camped. But when they arrived at the border of the promised land, they were not able to trust God. They lacked faith, which is the core of what God requires. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Paul says that we, like the desert generation, also are at the border of the promised land. Our privileges and responsibilities are greater, however. We did not hear God speak at Mount Sinai, but we have seen through Scripture a revelation of God greater than the one at Mount Sinai. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. The question is, will we have faith? Paul encourages to follow the example of a great list of characters which accumulates with Jesus Christ himself. Joel, would you like to finish with a prayer? Thank you.
2: Father, thank you for the message of Hebrews and your word to correct us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to give us peace and hope, to reassure us of your love and the all-sufficiency of Christ, to save us and to so that we can entrust without wavering both ourselves and those we love. For you will keep that which we have committed to you, And all who hear may claim this for themselves. All who are thirsty may come and drink freely from the water of life that is Jesus. No one will be turned away, just come. Father, we look forward to a time where there is no more pain and death, suffering and unhappiness, and all your children will be as one. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Amen.
0: Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today was a very interesting um, study and uh, encouraging uh, our listener also to look in the book of Hebrew in your own time and just uh, benefit of those uh, beautiful uh, passages. Uh, also, we are inviting you to join us again when we are going to learn a little bit more about the promised son. May God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.